You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. How are both of you? I'm like an 8 out of 10. How about you? It's pretty solid. I'd say like 9 out of 10. Oh, screw that. I'm a nine and a half. <laughs> I was just watching a YouTube video on um, this guy who made a squirrel an obstacle course for his backyard, and mm. it was quite enjoyable. I just was laughing so hard the whole time. <laughs> That's a good use of your time, if you ask me, because it involves two things I like. Animals, outside, OCR. That's three things, really. That's good. Good taste. <laughs> <laughs> Starting off with our strong math. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're rubbing off on me. Kirk, I never, I've never bothered asking because I'm always so upfront about the fact that my mathematical prowess is low. How is your math? I thought terrible. Um, based on the fa- so I was Until put- you met me. <laughs> yeah. I was putting advanced math in school, actually. And then when I got to my freshman year of college, I was still in advanced math. And then the teacher had to come to me basically halfway through the first semester and be like, hey, man, you don't you don't belong here. We should put you back with the regular kids. So ever since then, I think I've been average. Hmm. Yeah. I have only received – well, I shouldn't – outside of my first two years of college where I was a 1.7 down in North Carolina. And then the first half of the next year, I was at 1.85. But that was not due to – academic reasons unless not showing up for academics is a direct correlation to your iq for sure (laughs) outside of that that year and a half in my life i think i've only received three grades below a b they were maybe four and they were all in math and two of them i worked to get a c so i'm generally an a student with some b's if i didn't try hard or study but i am a c to d mathematic student let's put cassie to the test cassie what's two plus two well that's what i'm getting to (laughs) hold on let's oh plus two depends on the day (laughs) oh is cassie worse at math than you bracken i don't actually know but i know her occupation which generally leads itself to being good at math (laughs) i did go to engineering school um mechanical engineering so i used to think i was good at math but since i've been on maternity leave i got these logic puzzles that have a lot of math-based puzzles in them, and I am not nearly as strong as I thought. But I do love, math is my favorite subject, math and science. (laughs) Big nerd over here. There are different types of brains, right? Like the quantitative uh, mind versus like the qualitative mind or whatever you want to say. Like math stopped making sense to me after geometry. I could be like, yeah, that totally makes sense. Like I can wrap my mind around the logic of geometry. And then once we got past that, every phase made less and less logical sense to me. It was just like a wizard made it up and I had to follow these magical rules that I didn't understand. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you understand how anybody would feel that way? They do feel like magic. (laughs) Yeah. I totally understand. It starts having more letters and less numbers in each problem. And I can see at that point, you're like, this isn't math. (laughs) It's interesting because some people look at a mathematical equation or a scientific equation and just see the rules. It's just black and white. It's just very clear. This is the confines of how we work this. We just move this. And and I look at it and it's like, I feel like I'm supposed to translate something here, but I wasn't given... (laughs) a guide 
on how to translate it. And everyone around me can speak this language and I don't quite get it. It just, it sucks. And my dad was the same way. He and I, like, in terms of English classes or writing or literature, those things all make sense. And he struggled badly in math. But then as a teacher, when he became a high school teacher, went back and would relearn the text before teaching it the next day and found that he could do all those things if he spent time on it and as an adult with a fully formed brain. And I, I always wonder, what if I go back? Could I do algebra now? Could I do trig? These type of things that I couldn't do in high school, could I do it now? And I'm going to learn soon because Braden's in fourth grade and is quickly starting to get to the ceiling of what I feel comfortable doing mathematically and helping him with his work. So pretty soon I'm going to be sitting up at night with a, max, a math textbook in front of me and I'm going to find out. Was it just that my brain wasn't fully formed or did it form incorrectly? I think nowadays too, they try to, the way that math is taught now is probably way different than the way math was taught when you were growing up. They have definitely added new techniques that end result is still the same, but like the way they do division now is completely different than how I learned. So it might actually click with your brain better just because it's different. Do you know those, um, you'll see uh, things out, you'll see those things on the internet, like birds aren't real. Right. Do you know what I'm talking about? You ever see that? Yes. <laughs> like birds aren't real, right? Birds COVID are just was like... just an opportunity to change their batteries. Yep, exactly. Well, well, I'm going to make a shirt. It's going to say math isn't real. I don't believe it ain't real That's to right. me beyond a certain point. Why are we talking about math? Why aren't we talking about Cassie? So I think where Bracken was getting is before I ran my first ultra, I tried to combine math and running. And I started off as not a runner. So this ultra was like the first race that I had participated in. And I went and I stalked the Strava of people who'd completed the course. And I looked at the elevation gain per mile and what was going on. And I put it into a spreadsheet. And then I made a database of my times at each elevation and predicted how long it would take me to finish the race. And I was actually within 30 minutes, which was, I was pretty impressed with the fact that it worked out that way. Huh. Unless that's not where you were going, Bracken. <laughs> well, it's not. I think this came about organically. Because I thought three things were only two. Squirrels, outdoor, yeah. OCR. <laughs> Athletic math is the only math that ever made sense to me. When my dad was trying to get me to understand fractions and ratios, he just brought up shooting percentages and batting averages, and I got it. Like converting kilometers to miles or, or pacing. That's the only type of math that makes sense to me. So that... In that way, I have, I've had those type of things before as well. I need to average this much vert per minute or whatever I'm doing here. But outside of that, mm -mm. <laughs> Well, let's, let's talk about Cassie here, if you don't mind, Bracken. She's our special guest today. I recognize you. <laughs> I recognize you now that I see you. So I must have seen you on social media or something because I recognize your face. I don't know if we've interacted in person or not. I don't. It's not been in person, but I did buy the speed goats off of you that you had the women's ones. Oh, that's what it is. That's totally what it is. Yes, you bought the women's <laughs> speed goats off of me. Well, every time, what once wait, in a wait, while. Wait, wait. <laughs> I, I just bought a pair of women's speed goats off someone last week. <laughs> Why? It's a good shoe. Because the men's are all one hundred fifty-five dollars, and someone had a size twelve women's for sale for ninety bucks. That's a ten and a half men. Well, Cassie is a size ten and a half. Yep. <laughs> Cassie, we can share shoes. No, no, no. She's a ten and a half in women's. Oh, gotcha. I didn't read the finer details about the pair of shoes I bought on accident. 
And so I had a ten and a half mm-hmm. women sitting around, and Cassie jumped right on it. I had three people, bam, and you were the first one, Cassie. Well, they Thank are great you. shoes. They <laughs> thanks are. For the, thanks for selling them. Yeah. <laughs> Ask her how many miles she has on them. How many miles <laughs> do you have on them? That pair, currently zero, because it was an identical version of the shoes I already have that have a couple hundred miles on them. But I'm ready for them once my current speed goats are expired. Yeah. Take put out take all the air out of the old ones before you put on the new ones. I I do the same thing. I'm trying to get to the point here, guys, that <laughs> <laughs> that once in a while I throw a guest at Bracken and he doesn't get a heads up or really what it's about. Like one of my athletes or somebody I know that he doesn't. But very rarely, Bracken, do you do that to me? And so I don't know what we're getting into today. And I I now realize. Because every time we do this, Bracken's like, I'm very excited. Like, I have no I have no agenda. I'm just going to have a conversation with a person I don't know. And now I'm sitting here like, I'm really looking forward to having a conversation with a person I don't know. And I have no idea where it's going. And I think it's great. That's all I wanted to say. Well, I'm excited to go down the rabbit holes that you two are both no- so known for. Don't look I at me. I love talking about running. <laughs> don't look at me. Here's the extent that I prepared Kirk for this. Last night, he he sent me a text and he said, what's the name of our guest and what's the email address? <laughs> <laughs> Last night at like what? 4 p.m. or something like that. Less than 24 hours before we were on mic here, he uh, finally got around to uh, finding out what your name was. So I gave him <laughs> no background whatsoever, no agenda, roll into it blind because like he said, he's sprung this on me before. It's my turn. Well, hopefully it's not a trap. It could be. <laughs> it could be a trap. Um, so I started running in 2019 um, after not running before. And the first race that I signed up for was a uh, mountain 55K. And the logic behind it was I wanted something that would challenge me. And I knew I could run a 5K like that next weekend without dying. And I wanted something more. And I had some friends who signed up for this race in this little town called Salmon, Idaho. And I realized that I was going to have to change everything about everything in order to go from my sedentary lifestyle uh, as a professional to completing this race and not dying by the end. So I changed Can I the interrupt way I you? slept. I changed real, the way real, I ate. I changed. Let me interrupt you. Yes, of course. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 47 seconds. <laughs> Please. <laughs> New record. Cassie, you've, you've revealed too much already. Um, I should just let you finish, but No. You said a 55K, correct? Not a 5K? Yes. A fi- 55, 34 miles. <laughs> All right. And a woman who has never run has never run consistently in her life, as I'm understanding it, knew she could correct. run a 5K but decided to run 10 times that in the mountains. Am I understanding everything correct so far? Yes. <laughs> well, what is in? What is wrong with you? <laughs> First of all, <laughs> what, what is the personality flaw you possess in order to make a decision that large, like that? I'm very curious. I know that I wanted to push myself to something that I'd have to make a big change in order to do, and that would feel really satisfying at the end. And for me, it's never about the end goal; it's about the process to get there. So I knew that signing up for a 5K wouldn't change anything about what I was doing at that time back in December 2018 when I signed up. The race was in 2019. So I wanted to change and I wanted a challenge. And so I just shot way further than I thought I could even go. And I was going to be happy wherever I landed along that course. 
Well, that's not in the so realm of... I don't know what flaw of, that is. Maybe overambitious. It's not, it's not a flaw. <laughs> it, it, within the realm of possibility for somebody who hasn't really run before, that, would, how, that wouldn't even be on a radar. I wouldn't even know where to... Like, if a non-runner, I wouldn't know where to look. I wouldn't know how that existed i would start with like is there a 10k or a half marathon on the roads around here it's just like that is a jump that you never hear bracken am i not wrong like you i didn't i didn't even know these things existed until 2015 like really and i've been running my whole life so closest to that i've heard was actually ross who had run high school track at least but went from had run a few 5ks in his life to uh, i want to try a six-hour race and yeah, that's that's very rare that you that you have that. Why did you need to change, Cassie? Why did you need to change? I need to know. <laughs> Why did you need something? So I had just started my job after college. I was traveling like 70, 80% of the time. I had been struggling with an eating disorder as well, just from being on the road and being isolated. And I really wanted to get all of that kind of in check and find something that I could be passionate about that wasn't diving further into my eating disorder and isolation. And running was a really great opportunity to build community in any of the places that I went. So most of the cities I was traveling to, I started finding Orange Theory gyms where you can kind of interact with people there. So it was a little bit less lonely Um, and it worked. And the friends that signed up for this race, um, her parents host all of us as we stay. So I had built in community from people who are also training for this. So it was just a, it was time to really become an adult and make that transition from college into the professional world in a way that was healthier and going to set me up for success long-term. But I've also always been somebody who, (laughs) yeah, I sign up for things that aren't the best, like for what my physical abilities are. So I'm a six foot tall woman, uh, pretty average build. And in high school, the sports I chose were gymnastics and diving. And it was a lot of fun, but not necessarily what a six foot tall person should be doing. But to me, it was more about the community that you get from being on a team and learning new skills. My favorite part of anything is the learning side of it. Um, So signing up for big goals has never scared me. So I've said it before on here. I come from a gymnastics family. And at the start of each competition, generally every team parades out in their warmups or their uniform and stands there in front of the judges. And then they parade off in single file to each end of you rotate event to event together and you always stand in a line. And I, I get a little bit of joy, I'm sorry, Cassie, from envisioning a six foot gymnast in this parade of, you know, tiny little undeveloped women or <laughs> girls, essentially. You you would stick out by almost a foot over most of these girls in that little parade of nations. <laughs> Let me add to your visual, Bracken. There was a uniform that we had to wear that was like our sweatsuit with the um, jacket and the pants. Mm-hmm. The pants were like six inch high waters on me because they didn't have <laughs> any that were my size. <laughs> if you're 5'3", you're too tall. You're about as that's on the top end of any sort of elite gymnast, isn't it? Typically that 4'9 to 5'3 is the sweet yeah. spot. So six feet... Holy mm-hmm. smokes! And then diving of all things, there you're really. Cont- I can't think of two worse sports to pick with a frame like that. Really, is there any? Can you think of worse sports with a frame like that? Professional limbo work. I would have said it. We should try basketball or volleyball. <laughs> <laughs> so the diving actually came. Have either of you heard of a restaurant called Casa Bonita? Only after having talked to you. So it's a Mexican restaurant in Denver, Colorado. There's a South Park episode on it. But essentially, it's a restaurant that can seat over 900 people, and there's a 30-foot waterfall inside with divers that perform every 15 minutes as you eat your meal. 
So growing up, I always wanted to be a diver at Casa Bonita. And that's why I started diving in high school. And after high school, I actually did dive at Casa Bonita and I got to be the gorilla for a little bit. Um, so that was kind of what inspired the diving, not because I thought I could be good at it because I thought it would be fun. Cause you wanted to work at a restaurant. Exactly. <laughs> Do you receive tips as a diver at Casa Bonita? Do they throw coins in the water tank for you or any, any benefits that way? <laughs> no tips, but I did sign some autographs. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I want to ask more questions about that. There's a lot of directions to go from here. I'm really, I'm standing at like a six, six street intersection right now. I I do want to say something about your, your 55 K decision. I actually had this conversation with two different people on Monday and we're recording on what Thursday. So a couple days ago, um, I've convinced three of my in gym clients to run a Spartan race. They've never done one before. They're going to travel to one. Because I think having a goal to focus on other than just your physical looks produces one better physical looks and two more gratification. But they're like, well, we're just going to start with the sprint and da da da. And I'm, I'm not comfortable doing anything longer than that. It's my first time, right? And I'm like, nope, you're not doing a sprint. At minimum, you're doing a super and probably the beast because a sprint doesn't scare you enough to keep you honest between now and then. You need to be scared out of your mind of what's to come, and that's going to hold you accountable. That's going to make you not hit snooze. That's going to keep the extra beers out of your belly every weekend. That's why you need to do something bigger. And so with your decision, I mean, you really swung for the fences, but I had that conversation this week. And talk about scaring you. Did it scare you into like submission to, to behaving, to following a plan? Were you scared? Absolutely. <laughs> I was terrified. I knew that I couldn't do this unless I changed and did that daily routine, that weekly routine. I couldn't get to the finish line. I would have broken myself. Um, so that was the exactly what you described to your athletes. A 5K didn't scare me. A 55K scared the wits out of me. And that's what, like you said, it, you didn't hit snooze. I would make sure that if I didn't hit my workout for the day and it was 9 or 10 p.m., I would get out and still go work out because I knew that I needed to build my fitness to get to the finish line, even to get to the start line um, of that race. So I did it because it scared me. Okay. Now, you should, should we just continue the story instead of getting distracted with, like, waterfall aerobics <laughs> and things, Bracken, or what do you want to do here? Ah, <laughs> uh, it. I want to talk about it. I almost feel like I want to ask one Casa Bonitas question <laughs> and then a 55K question. But I, I think the question I do want to know is you love the process. You love acquiring new skills. Does mastery of those skills or success with those skills enter into the equation for you? Like high school, did you become, did you see any success as a gymnast or was it just learning more skills, even if it never got to a varsity level with diving? Did you care if you ever scored or did, was it more like, I want to be able to see if I can do it. It's more the latter to be able to see if I can do it, which is why I'm shocked that still five years from now I'm running and wanting to keep getting better and get better at mastery because my whole life I've been the, I want to start, I want to learn, I want to get proficient and then I get bored and want to move on. And I've been that way with a lot of different hobbies. Um, Cause it's fun for me, the progress that you see gaining new skills. It's a lot more difficult when you get into the mastery phase I feel like it's kind of like hitting a plateau where you 
your progress isn't as noticeable and it's harder to get excited about a 10 second reduction in a mile time going from a 12 minute to an 1150 mile isn't as exciting as going from I can run a whole mile without stopping. Um, so it's, that's why I try to keep things fun and not ever get into the mastery. So what I found is if I'm on a really long slog, either in the race or on a long run, I'll actually stop and start skipping or singing a song if it's getting too bogged down. Because to me, it's about the process and the lifelong journey of being a runner and trying these things. So I have to keep it fun. I can't get too serious and too bogged down in the numbers. That really starts to be detrimental and I start to lose interest in whatever I'm doing. I wish I had that attitude about a lot of things. To be honest, because, well, no, it's true because one of my clients tells me, he's like, you know, the, the saying how you do anything is how you do everything. And when I get into the mastery phase of anything, I become obsessed and I split hairs and it occupies a lot of brain time outside of even doing the activity itself. Right. Like I'm not running, but I'm thinking about how to and and. If you could break free of that, I think it'd actually be really freeing a lot of times. It probably would create more longevity for a lot of people in a lot of things. And you're able to do that with most things, huh? The, uh, the whatever, however you want to call it. You've, you've been able to do that throughout your life? When it comes to playing violin or playing piano, um, the only thing I can't think of is school. I did try to get through the mastery of school, but that's a little bit more confined. You know, there's an end date, like you know what you have to do to get through the class. It's very regimented. So on the unregimented things, I've found like I'm pretty good at just keeping it fun for as long as I can and enjoying the process of gaining new skills. And I think that comes from, you guys have talked a lot about on here how your body really does, like your genetics have a big impact in it, whether or not you're really talented at something and are gonna be the top. And I've just accepted that I'm not gonna be the top in almost anything I do. And I'm really okay with that. I'm not meaning that as a dejected or a poor me, like I'm not gonna be the top. And that's freeing because now I can just be whatever the best version of that is for me, not compared to anyone else. Hmm. That That is a very good point. That if you have even a prayer, a, a, a sliver of hope that you could see a tangible level of success as the outside world would would judge success, and that kind of becomes your overriding goal. I haven't, I haven't thought about it that way. I, I'm glad you said it like that. It's easy also, I think, I don't know if both of you are technically millennials, but something that I see a lot with my millennial friends, and not to make it completely generational, but we're afraid to fail and call our shots and then not get there to say, oh, well, I'm going to run this 55K. And if I don't run the 55K, then I'm a failure. Whereas when I look at it, it's I'm going to try to run this 55K. And whatever difference I make from this starting point to getting there is improvement and was the point, whether or not I finish. The finishing, I mean, now that I'm more in it and I'm more capable and I know I can, finishing is more of the goal. But for that first time, it was the changes were what mattered, not the the big goal. You're dropping a lot of nuggets already here, Cassie. I can see these. <laughs> I can see these snippets on our Instagram, Ian. These are the the type of conversations we have when we do our our coaching calls, Kirk. Mm -hmm. There are several types of athlete calls that you have. Some are very much like deliver a message and it's received. Mm -hmm. And then there are some where there are questions asked about the plan and you work on things. And then if there's time remaining, you kind of just like shoot the breeze for a little bit. And then there are the types where like 45 minutes in, you say, all right, do we have any training questions today? <laughs> and that's, that's absolutely Cassie where 
five minutes in, she's giving an anecdote or or some sort of, I had this realization this week. And, and then 25 minutes later, it's like, all right, that's good. Let's talk about running. And then 25 minutes later, like, you know what we should actually talk about right now is running. <laughs> it's, it's, it's that type of athlete call that we have consistently. And it's why I was kind of excited to, to do a podcast here. So how old are you, Cassie? I am 29. I just turned 29. <laughs> okay. Just one perspective on what, how old you were when you started running and where you're at now. So, okay, continue. So back to 2019 when I signed up to do the race. Um, so found the community. I really got the recovery and the help that I needed to get through the eating disorder. I got some better boundaries and place with work and I changed the way I slept. Like sleep became one of the most important things. Um, alcohol consumption went way down because when you go for a long run on Saturday morning really early, you really feel those couple of drinks from Friday night. And to me, the run became more important than the couple of Friday night drinks. And I changed a lot and I started to see some really quick progress. Like when you start anything, you start really bad and see really intense gains early and found some people that I'd love to run with. So the long runs were kind of hikes slash photo shoots slash hmm. just enjoying chats in the mountains with friends. And then I did the race and the first year I finished in just under 14 hours. And my only goal was to finish. And that finish line was really, really amazing. Um, so that was four years ago, I guess five years ago in 2019, I ran that and I've ran it every year since. Um, I've found the running pub, the running public sometime in between there and really enjoyed listening to all the content and kind of became obsessed because I was not classically trained with running. I didn't know anything about what a tempo run was, what pace or cadence or how to train the 80-20. Like I knew nothing of that. And so I started really enjoying the running public and I got on the running public training plan uh, for my race last year. And as I got closer to the race, I realized I wanted more individualized coaching. So I reached out to Bracken just after the race um, and or just before the race saying that I'd like to do it for the next year. But what I didn't realize at the time when I first reached out to Bracken is that I was pregnant. So last year when I ran the race, I was about six weeks pregnant and I finished and Bracken still agreed to work with me through my pregnancy. And this year I just had my baby about a month ago and we're starting to work towards running the race this July. Um, so that was been, it's been a really cool experience because there isn't a training plan that really works for pregnancy that cannot, that is set in stone. We made adjustments daily, weekly, almost through the entire thing. And that really helped, but it was nice having some external validation because pregnancy was not, not exactly a walk in the park um, most of the time, especially when grappling with your ability starting to decline after you've been in ultra marathon shape for the last few years. So that's kind of my whole running experience so far. <laughs> You'd think Bracken would have prescribed less burpees knowing you're pregnant, but he's a real a-hole. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> How many burpees did we do? I'm Zero. kidding. None? I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't think we did any. <laughs> D to be clear, Cassie has never run an OCR race and shows zero interest in ever doing it. She is a, a trail-only, a running-specific <laughs> athlete. Cool. For now. Which I fully support. I want to just real quick. I want to ask about something she talked about. It's this is a personal curiosity. We've had in depth yeah. conversations um, with other athletes in the past about uh, their relationship with food, and this is actually a, a curiosity that um, I don't know the answer to. But when you were transitioning, uh, you're getting help for that, and then you were transitioning into a healthier lifestyle. 
is there a, a strong recommendation not to pick up what could be perceived as compulsive exercise to offset a new dietary acceptance? Like, was that ever part of the conversation, that pivot point? Do you understand what I'm asking? Like, is that ever, like, discussed, mm -hmm. like, oh, well, Cassie's got her nutrition somewhat figured out now, but she's offsetting with excessive exercise. Is that ever a conversation at that juncture? I know that's not what we're going to dwell on today, but I'm it curious. It absolutely is. <laughs> okay. So that have been frowned upon? Yes and no. I think every eating disorder is quite different. And so I think it depends on what the root of it is for. And mm. for me, my eating disorder was based a lot in control. I felt completely out of control and I could control the food that I either consumed or that stayed in my body. And during that transition, I think that what was really important is I wasn't a metrics-based runner at that point. I would try to run without my watch. I would try to only run in ways that felt good. And what was interesting is I do think some people can kind of make that transition into being a compulsive exerciser. And Amelia Boone talks a lot about this on her Instagram of if you took away the calories or whatever the benefit would be for your eating, would you still do that movement? for your enjoyment or for what you feel um, the day after. And that's really important to keep in the back of your mind. And the behaviors that I had around my eating disorder were very easy to notice if I was starting to run or be compulsive in the same way. So it was really important to be aware that that could be an option. But for me, it kind of turned in from this food being evil and not supporting me and my goals to food was now allowing me to run, which was really fun. So I would eat more food, I would keep the food down in order to access more energy on a run because I would pass out or um, just like feel super lightheaded or have blood sugar crashes. And that wasn't fun, but the other parts of running were. So it kind of changed in a way that allowed me to break free of those restrictions in some ways in my mind. And the eating disorder thoughts did come back um, during pregnancy because you're throwing up again your body's making a lot of changes. Um, so it was kind of like the ultimate boss level that you'd face in a video game going through pregnancy with the eating disorder. But I think it's a, a risk that people who do struggle with food um, and have eating disorders need to be aware of the behaviors and making sure those don't translate into sport or whatever movement you choose. You talked about control being the, the starting line for your relationship with food turning unhealthy was that control as you started your professional life or did that start to manifest earlier like back in diving and gymnastics days or growing up due to household stress or when, when did the control become a food-based manifestation it did kind of start in high school and it was mostly around academics and other type of stress that would cause me to lack control if i got a bad grade on a test i would want to feel like i could control something at least. Um, and then in my professional life, I mentioned I was traveling a lot. Like I would be gone Sunday afternoon until Friday night. Um, so I was alone and isolated and only had access to restaurant food. A lot of times I work in the manufacturing industry. So you're going to these little teeny tiny towns um, where there's not a lot of access to other people and you're isolated in your hotel room. You don't have friends with you. And so I felt really out of control in my professional life because being gone and having so much disruption to your routine was pretty deregulating. Um, sleeping in a new bed every week was pretty challenging. So I think from the other external stressors in my life is what I was trying to control through food. Hmm. For a lot of people, running seems to be the reason to start cutting back on things. 
I feel like crap after I have fast food every day after work and then try to run. So it's the reason to eat cleaner or to eat Mm -hmm. less or to drink less. Yours seems a bit like the opposite where it was the reason to start fueling. It was. (laughs) That's the opposite thing that Kirk and I probably hear the most, which is it was permission to start treating it as fuel. It was permission to start treating it as fuel. And it was interesting switching from thinking only about the calories that food would have and how that could potentially change my body to how those foods actually make me feel. So I did also limit fast food and alcohol and other types of food because it was kind of like a science experiment. Like I love to do is I eat this food. How do I feel? And that was just changing my messaging with food just enough to kind of break free from the shackles of control that it had to say, I wasn't, I didn't get obsessive and some people do, but it was just really interesting to be more of an observational third party in my body of, okay, you ate this food. How do you feel? How does your run feel? And then you start eating more of the foods that make you feel good. And naturally some of those other foods fall off, but it wasn't as intentional as you, as I would have thought it would be. Mm-hmm. I have a side conversation about food now. Um, do you guys think of food as like when you're picking your food or eating your food, do you think of food as calories or do you think of food as energy? For me, maybe I'm lucky. I think like, oh, I ate a pizza last night and I normally don't do that. I'm going to, that is, although not great for me, that is a lot of energy that I will put to use tomorrow morning. I don't ever go to like, oh man, I overate calories. I'm going to get fat. I always think of it as like, uh, well, I I should have a lot of energy tomorrow because I overdid it just a little bit today, but I never think about calories. And I don't know if that's normal or not normal. What is normal? How do people really think of food as? I think energy. It's always what I think of. I don't think calories, even though I tell people and I coach people through caloric and macro type eating at times. What do you guys look at it as? I've never thought about how I think about food before, ever. And as you were talking, I realized I categorize it according to meals. And I think it's almost every single day I do this. Breakfast, I think calories. Lunch, I think about fuel. Hmm. And dinner, I think about enjoyment. And I never thought of this before. I wake up every day and I think I'd like to get X number of calories in before my quality workout. Or before my long run. Or it's a recovery day. I don't need any calories this morning. So my first meal of the day, I almost always count the calories because I'm curious, am I getting the right amount in before my intended next stimulus? And then I get to lunch and I'm recovering from a workout and setting myself up for tomorrow. So it's only fueling I'm thinking about. I could care less how it tastes. Hmm. I'm combining a lot of weird stuff together just to get what I want in to feel right. And dinner, I almost always only think, what would taste really good? Hmm. It's interesting. I never I never knew I did this. Hmm. For me, back when I was really active in my eating disorder, I could tell you the calories that were in every single bite of food that went into my mouth. Hmm. So for me, a healthier way has been to approach it more as energy. But it's interesting, Bracken, when you talk about the different ways of thinking about it when it comes to preparing for a long run or when it comes to like my pre-race fuel or my during race fuel, I think 100% in calories. I think I need to be taking in at least 100 calories every hour or I'll bonk. So it becomes Mm -hmm. more of a math equation, but other times it's energy, at least Hmm. now. I don't even know if it's worth dwelling on, I guess that. Oh, go ahead. Keep talking about yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I'm that was tongue in cheek. Go ahead. I'm thinking about this now as I go shopping. 
<laughs> as I shop for groceries or as I make a list or anything, my first, my starter meals are entirely based around calories. I go down the aisle. For example, I eat a lot of uh, baby food, like in the pouches, mostly applesauce-based. And all I do is I flip each one around and see what the calorie number is. It has to be at least 80 calories per packet or I won't buy it. 90 is like the holy grail. If you can buy a 90 or 100-calorie baby food packet. That's what I eat before workouts or races, mostly, because I can stomach it and work out. Otherwise, if I eat a real meal, I have to wait two to three hours. And then lunch, all I think about for those foods is how densely nutritious they are or how much energy I can pack in. In dinner, I have never once looked at the caloric makeup of whatever I'm making. I don't think ever in my life. Hmm. I wonder how many people compartmentalize to such a degree without realizing it. Probably. Well, it's based on the needs that you have at each time of the day. <laughs> yeah. I lead first. How is this going to make me feel? I always lead with that, but very close behind is the energy thing. Like, do you ever see the meme where it's like, it's just like a picture of a guy and he's drinking coffee and his stomach, his stomach says magic and then out his arms just says energy. It's like coffee in, magic happens, energy out. I think of food in, with that <laughs> dumb little meme. I'm like, well, if I eat three packets of oatmeal, I know that's a lot, but like no way I'm bonking later today. Or I'll finish that last slice of pizza tonight because I got two hours on feet tomorrow and let's make them count. Weird things like that, but it, I don't think like how many calories is in that pizza? I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe we're lucky. Maybe we're not. I wonder if that's why though. I wonder if that's why I only think about taste at dinner. Because I don't care how my breakfast tastes. I care that I hit the number I want in order to work out or race. And I don't care precisely about taste at lunch. It's more about I generally want something salty and I want something that's going to fuel me. And by dinner, I just need something to taste really good. I wonder what that's doing long term. Huh, it's not about me. <laughs> but it, now you got me thinking, you guys. Okay, that was a side curiosity. I don't know why that crossed my mind. Something you were talking about, Cassie, triggered that. Looking at food as energy instead of like calories. I think that would be a nice shift in mindset for some people listening, I would imagine. Um, okay, so basically, let's get us on track here. Um, Bracken, basically, you started working with Cassie with a baby inside of her. And your entire relationship up to this point until about a month ago when babies came out has been pregnant training. Is that correct? Am I understanding correctly? Yeah. Very unique situation. Let's talk through that, huh? That is absolutely correct. <laughs> tell, tell me tell me more, as some might say. <laughs> well, I guess I'll set the table for Cassie. It, it was a unique situation because generally... Sometimes people just take a pause on it or say, hey, I'm pregnant. Let's pick up afterwards. But this is probably only the second time that someone reached out for the sole purpose. Not the sole purpose, but the initial upfront purpose of working through a pregnancy. And so generally the onboarding is what can we do right now? What are our strengths and weaknesses? What do we need to do starting from day one to build fitness? And this was the opposite. We started from day one knowing this will be the most fit you will be for the next like seven or eight months. Mm -hmm. We're going to get progressively less fit objectively according to certain metrics. And what can we do in other areas in order to arrive at the end ready to begin and pick up training in the best possible place? So that's really the first or second time that I've ever gone through that. And so there's a very different situation for me. 
But I don't know if Cassie's ever worked with a coach before, so I don't know how that situation really hit her. Like, this is weird, or I've never done it, so I guess this is what you do. It was, I've never worked with a coach before, and a little bit of that extra layer on that, as I said, I know that we're going to get worse over the next seven to eight months, and then about 16 weeks postpartum, I want to run another ultra marathon. So how do Mm. we get through pregnancy with that goal in mind, knowing that the way I set goals is if I can't get there, like my lifelong health is more important, but that's the intention and I'd like to work towards that. Um, It was interesting. And I didn't think it was weird because I'd never worked with a coach before. And that was the reality that I was facing to know that my fitness is not going to get better. My running fitness is not going to get better throughout growing the baby. So how do I keep that? Like, how do I keep the little bit of fitness that I can and have a more enjoyable pregnancy by staying fit through it to get through the labor and delivery the best possible way so I can rebuild to run the ultra three, four months after. And I actually preferred that having the ultra piece tacked on to the postpartum because generally when you work with someone it becomes this process where you lose something every few weeks i can no longer squat heavy i can no longer squat much at all i can't do core work on my stomach anymore now i can't do core work on my side very comfortably anymore i can't do each week or two once you get past the first trimester you start to lose something and it's just an inherently negative process where the goal is let's just see how little we can atrophy through the end and then get back to work with whatever's remaining. Well, you defined what you wanted to have remaining, which is I want to six weeks, 16 weeks postpartum run a 55 K with 6,500 feet of vert and 9,000 feet of descending. So we knew certain pieces of your body had to be ready to accept work. So we didn't have to focus on as much of the depressing part of now we've lost this skill. It's We'll use whatever skill possible in order to still work hips, glutes, quads, whatever. Everything we think we're going to need for the ultra, we're going to choose whatever is available in the arsenal in order to work on that area. So for me, it was nice because it gave a guidance to what we were doing and freed up. We don't care how we do it at all. If we can only do one thing, that's fine. As long as we can hit our hip flexors doing it, that's great. So I I did like the part that I think you were most worried about, which is, is this crazy or acceptable to have an ultra sitting postpartum? Mine was, well, thank goodness we have something that really clarifies how we get through this. And something that Bracken told me early on that was really helpful, especially once you get past that first trimester and your body really does change more physically. He's like, think about it this way. Even if you just get out for a walk, you have a 30 pound weight vest at altitude because something's pushing on your lungs and taking more of your oxygen and blood supply So in a way, every single walk you go on is training for your race. You've got a weight vest, you're working all those same muscles. Granted, they're changing because of all the hormone changes, but that's a race prep, even though it was just a walk, even if it was just a mile walk or to the end of the driveway, like it was some sort of movement and all of that is going to build up. So through this whole process, the main goal was to make sure that my training log didn't have any big gaps. I think the biggest gap was maybe a week. And I think that's the week that I had COVID. So the gap, it didn't matter what the intensity was of any line item on my log. It was that we strung together a whole training for that period of time with whatever movement was available to me. And the other thing Bracken told me really early on, um, the first trimester is tough energy level wise. Your hormones are changing like crazy. And you, I was so tired. And as I mentioned before, during my training, if I have something on my plan, I will get it done that day, even if it's super late at night. But I had 
zero energy for it. And I was really struggling. And during one of our calls with Bracken, he said, here's what we're going to do. If you feel too tired to do this workout, I want you to go and lay down in your bed and try to go to sleep. If you're asleep in five minutes, then whatever workout that you had scripted for today just changed to a nap. Your body needed that sleep to grow the baby inside of you. And that's priority number one. And if you go to bed and you're scrolling on your phone for 15 minutes and you're really not sleeping, okay, that means that you weren't actually tired. Let's go do the workout. And so quite a few of my workouts, even in that first trimester, said nap. I took a nap and that's exactly what I needed. And that was really helpful as just having a mindset shift that when you go through pregnancy, your body makes a lot of changes you don't control. So you got to roll with the punches and do what your body tells you and listen to it in a way that you haven't ever needed to before. And that meant some of my training turned into sleep. And it was really a helpful mindset shift for me to get through that whole training block. Some of my training turned into sleep. I don't believe we've heard that one before. <laughs> really racking my brain there, but I've never said that before. Prior to Cassie, I never told an athlete that before. But it became apparent that she had overwhelming fatigue. And sometimes we feel fatigue and it's mental. And so it became, hey, if you can't do the workout because you're tired, you better fall asleep. And if you can't fall asleep, you're not too tired to do the workout. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a real easy litmus test. If you're out in five minutes, you're underslept sleep. You have a baby growing. <laughs> sleep for that baby. But if your phone comes out, put it down and go do the workout. Like you can't fake that test. If you can't fall asleep, you have to do something. Never done it before with anyone else, but maybe I'm going to start doing that, Kirk. I'm going to have an athlete write nap for their workout one day, and I'm going to I'm going to have to, <laughs> to talk to them. They're going to be like, we heard, we heard. A 40 minute steady state nap. <laughs> really nailed the recovery heart rate. <laughs> Today's nap. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's a little piece of conversation about, uh, getting less fit as you become more pregnant. I don't know if that's necessarily true. Granted, I've never been pregnant. Um, I have worked with many pregnant athletes as well. Um, I always have women right now having babies in the gym or athletes. It's like somebody's always having one, just had one or on the way to having one. Uh, you know, it's been the last five years, but there is something to say about working energy systems until it's contraindicated, right? Like, yeah, you're going to gain weight. Yeah, you're gonna, your biomechanics are going to change a little. Your lower back's probably going to start hurting. Your hips are probably going to get tight. You might be uncomfortable in the chest. You can't fully open your diaphragm like you used to. All of the things that are different, but until what? You're six months in or maybe, I don't know what, what the rules are because everybody sometimes makes their own, but... You can still work systems, and yeah, I'm going to run slower because I weigh 15 more pounds. Like, no crap, and my legs don't move the right way the way I want them because my hips are opening, whatever it is. But, like, really, sure, your metrics on paper are going to get worse, but physiologically, metabolically, you can still actually, in my, I guess, uneducated opinion, gain fitness while being pregnant or at least maintain the body's ability to do work. That work just doesn't show on paper yet would you guys agree with that is there any like validity to that so yes less fit because you can't run as fast but you could maintain or build fitness for right. part of the pregnancy right those metrics that can pay off later in the ultra that you're going to dominate in three months 
So I would look. Uh, you, did you ever look at it that way? I did. Okay. Um, I also had a really awesome healthcare team that told me I could stay as active as I wanted as long as it felt good. If I was doing something and it stopped feeling good, then stop doing that. Hmm. So that was really helpful to have my doctor having that opinion. So there was never any restrictions on what I was allowed to do. Just if it stopped feeling good, stop doing it. So the only thing that I will say does degrade is your core strength because your abs get so stretched from there being a baby inside that you can't really develop core strength during pregnancy. And after a certain point, running didn't feel good. So I think right now I'm more fit in my cardio system um, and my leg strength because those are things that we focused on. But I think I'm less fit in my core strength and in my resistance to impact, which is what we'll work on building up um, throughout. But if you can stay active, even a walk. So it was actually really helpful because we were rock climbing through my um, rock climbing gym had a harness for pregnant people, which was really cool. Um, it clips more toward like right above your pecs instead of at your waist. So there was still ways to do it. But as you start to climb less difficult routes, because you can't build like you can't go up as well as you start to run slower or even stop running and start only walking. If you visualize if you had a 30 pound weight vest on, yeah, you'd probably not be able to climb the same route. If Nate, my husband, put a weight vest on, he'd have a more difficult time climbing those routes. He'd have a more difficult time running. So it was about just kind of shifting and focusing. But I do think I at least maintained fitness, if not gained in some of those areas. But the bodily changes, like your core especially, you're not going to gain when your abs are stretched like that. And the core movements that I was able to keep in were like bracing movements. If you're doing a squat or some some sort of bracing, but I didn't do any core specific work probably for the last six months of that, just cause it didn't feel good anymore. It was just like an interesting note. Not that I disagreed with the comment, like, well, we know you're only going to get less fit over the next nine months. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say I disagreed <laughs> with that statement, but I'm not going to say I agreed with it because and I know that's not what you meant. But metrics wise, for sure. Right. So it's like, it's not like a, oh, hold, let's just damage control here for the next nine months. It's like, no, like this work right. will pay off eventually. I just, that's how I, I looked at it anyways. And certainly someone heard that because I said, all we can do is get less fit. And my final word there was objectively. But someone certainly heard it. You heard it. Other people are going to hear that. And it's important to note why I said that is because if someone comes to you and says, I'd like you to coach me and prepare me for doesn't matter what it is other than pregnancy. The intended goal is to get faster. Right. If you ask any runner, what is your best measure of fitness? Most are going to give you a pace-based or time-based metric for that. And that's the one that's going to go right out the window. Right. We are just going to get slower. So Yeah, that's uh, so objectively, all we can do is get less fit. But the great thing that we talked about a lot is you can swing a real wide arc preparing for an ultra. Especially, I mean, in our last call, which was yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. I asked her, and I should have asked you this months ago, what percent of the course is runnable to you and your best fitness? And she said, what, 30%? Yeah, about 30% of it. So 30% of the course is runnable. There's a four-mile downhill stretch down a game trail with no switchbacks in this. Love it. Is this really a running-based race? Or can we go about getting that level of fitness a whole lot of different ways? If we're prepping for a 5K or a 10K, you have to run and you have to run fast and often. Prepping for a 55K, that's going to be 70% spent scrambling, power hiking, or descending through technical junk. Yeah, doing step-ups are going to help. Doing bar class is going to help. 
strengthening hip hip flexors and glutes, that helps. And if we can't do it in one way, well, we're not locked into a 5K plan where the only way to run faster while running is to run fast and run and do it a lot. Like You can swing wide for an ultra, and that's a really nice thing to prep for postpartum. I would have been a whole lot more worried if you said, I want to PR my 5K in 16 weeks. You might decondition now that you've had the baby, not hauling around that weight vest all day, every day, everything you did. Heck, you might have hit your peak month seven of pregnancy. You never know. I might have. <laughs> I mean, let's talk. I still have the weight vest. <laughs> I wear him when I walk now. But <laughs> so, so how did it go then? Let's talk about uh, the pro- the progression. I guess let's dissect that training with purpose while pregnant. I think that that's going to be the topic of today, right? What What did you learn? And I'm sure Bragan, you can chime in. But what are some of the things you learned along the way about training for ultras while pregnant? What was your experience? What's it been? That you have to be willing to adjust. So one of the biggest things that I learned about being purposeful in my training while pregnant was that you have to be flexible and take whatever is available to you on that day. Because today might be different than yesterday, which might be different from tomorrow. With the type of running and training that I like to do, I do need to have a wide base and I need to be able to rely on a lot of those skills. So if something's not feeling good that day, leave it, go towards something that does. And so kind of look at more of the positive aspect of training and less of the punishment aspect, which is there sometimes. It's it's fun when you're going on like a long cut down long run. Like you have to dig deep. You have to make sure that you're going to hit that effort. And sometimes that could be negative and sometimes negative reinforcement helps get through that. But to me, it was being positive and flexible in how I got the goal. And so for a while, it turned into kind of towards the end is how do we get 45 minutes of movement? Is that a 20 minute walk and a 25 minute yoga and stretch? Is that adding in some bar? Is that adding in some strength? Like, what do I have today that is available to me? was one of the most impactful things, I think, to get through the pregnancy and to just know that it's not time on feet that matters, it's actual time moving my body was what the important goal was to hit for the day. That's my biggest takeaway from training through it. So you see how you probably thought Bracken Bracken was ignoring you there? I'm assuming you're looking for some sort of history of something because Bracken does this when we record. I knew it. So if if Bracken doesn't pay attention to a guest for a moment. See how he's looking at his phone. He's always pulling up something he's got up his sleeve. So I assume you're doing something right now, Bracken, to back up what Cassie is saying. Or I'm wrong. Maybe I don't know you at all. Okay. That's what I thought. Just scrolling Twitter. Just scrolling. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't have Twitter on my phone, actually. Uh, I pull up Cassie's training plan because one of the things that I tell every athlete I ever work with in some form of this sentence is, This training is set in stone, but it's a very soft stone. Like we're writing it all down, but that doesn't mean we are a slave to the training plan. We want to follow the premises of it, but the workout we script for 16 weeks from now, I do not intend for you have to hit that 16 weeks from now, exactly how we script it. That's where we'd like to get to. And if the progression changes, the progression changes. This has never been more true than with what we did. So we divided it up, Cassie. I don't know if you remember back on one of our initial calls. I basically said, listen, I have no idea how this is going to go. So I'm going to predict what I think based off what you've told me and what I've known watching my wife give birth three times is and working with several other pregnant women is this is a roughly how it's going to go. So we divided it into four blocks. 
Block one, speed focus. We said, we're going to build a reverse pyramid. We're going to lose the ability to work the way we want to work throughout this. So we are going to go backwards. We have speed available available to us now. We're going to work sharp and spicy now. Block two is going to be a threshold focus. Block three will be an aerobic capacity focus. And block four is going to be a movement focus. I think we're going to get through those. I don't know. We gave it seven weeks, seven weeks, nine weeks, and nine weeks. That's what we guessed on early on. That's how much time we're going to be able to spend in each phase before we kind of lose access to that system on running. And whatever happens, happens. So we got through our speed focus, spent seven weeks working on that. Then we moved to a threshold focus. And four weeks into that, if I look back here, workouts stop appearing with names that are different and one word starts popping in. Do you remember what kind of workout that was, Cassie? Starting in week 11 of our training block. No cheating. You can't look it up. Oh, dang it. I just looked it up. <laughs> I think it was movement though, wasn't it? Uh, oh, sorry. The, the, that name for the quality session. Each session had a name. Like Early on, we were doing multi-pace number one, multi-pace number two, stuff like that. Split tempo one. Only one word appeared in block two starting week four. Yes. Our Netflix runs. <laughs> Netflix runs. We couldn't predict what we could do anymore. So we had a queue of workouts. And on a Netflix run, you just pulled up your Netflix queue and what looks good to watch today. Mm. That's all it was. We had some short stuff, some strength-based workouts, some threshold-based stuff, some long stuff, some non-impact stuff. What does my body give to me today? That's what we're taking. So we made it 11 weeks into a 24-week build before it went totally off the rails. And then heading three isn't there anymore. Aerobic capacity block was deleted. I just didn't even get to it. So we made it two out of four training blocks. In the second one, we went off the rails. The third one, we didn't even attempt. And we went into something else. And then after that, we just found what actually works here and started moving. So the point is, yes, Cassie was absolutely right. And her training plan proves it. We had a really well thought out plan that went totally off the rails a third of the way through. But it's what the plan needed to do. Yeah. And we were upfront from the start that it will go off the rails and that is okay. So I think the favorite workout that I had in there, there was some workouts that were just like chorus based where just go and run how you feel, go and run the chorus hard um, and walk the rest. But the other ones that I thought were fun, um, when I stopped being able to do a consistent run, just because it didn't feel good anymore. I'd sometimes still have like these zoomies. I describe it as my dog just running around the backyard because he has all this energy and is really excited. So I'd go for a walk and have some zoomies and just kind of run when I felt like it and when felt good. And that's what a lot of the workouts turned into. And that Netflix cue was really helpful for kind of picking different mentalities you can have during a workout. Um, and because there wasn't a purposeful end goal or a race, I didn't have to hit a downhill workout this week. I didn't have to hit any particular workout for my goal. The goal was, I guess you guys have talked a little bit about the difference between working out and training before. So maybe it did kind of switch towards more workouts through that last part of the pregnancy after it went off the rails, but it was still training for the ultimate goal of next year. And I think training for an ultra has to have a wide base and a lot of variety because you get to the race that day, the trail can be completely different. You might be post-holing through snow and your hip flexors need to be able to do that. It might be extremely hot and you have to be able to manage that. You can't control, you might have three or four different weather events during your race. So 
having the flexibility in a wide skill set, I think is actually what will make you more successful in an ultra than in a 5k. That's, I mean, for you guys running a 5k in the 15 to 20 minute range, there's not a lot of variability that's going to happen on the course um, or on that day compared to what you're going to experience in an ultra. So being resilient to get to the race and building through so many different areas to have a wide base, I think is what we did the whole pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. Flexibility was the number one thing. I'm envisioning a coach seeing Bracken's magic plan. Like here's Bracken's training plan. It's like, first, what we're going to do is we're going to sharpen what we're going to build on top of that. Some threshold work. (laughs) And third, we're just going to slow it right down to just time on feet. And I guarantee you, you're going to run your best yep. race. To... I'm just in, like randomly that falling in like the wrong hands with no context. And be like, that guy is a knob. Yeah, if you looked at that training plan, what is Netflix? What Why is, is she ne- doing it 15 times in three weeks? She napped for her workout today under her workout. It says I took a nap. And there was no negative response mm-hmm. to that stimulus. Um, I just find that very amusing. So, uh, so Cassie's revelation number one of being pregnant and training is being malleable, or you know, being able to mm-hmm. adjust or adapt on the fly, so to speak, listening to your body. What would be uh, what would be another thing that stands out to you that you learned about your training while pregnant? But you have to keep it fun. My travel schedule is pretty intense there for a while. Um, what during the first trimester of pregnancy, like spanning the first and second, I had twelve weeks in a row of work travel, so that was difficult to balance on top of trying to keep this schedule. So keeping it fun and making those Netflix workouts with coworkers. Uh, this job has me traveling a lot less alone, but saying like, "Hey, do you want to wake up at six o'clock tomorrow morning to go to the gym to a coworker before our meetings?" And keeping it fun and keeping it lighthearted and focused away from the metrics. So the only metric really that I cared about through that time was time. I wasn't caring about how fast I was going. I wasn't caring about how much weight that I could lift. I wasn't caring about how many miles I was hitting in a week. It was literally just time-based goals and how I was feeling. And that was really freeing to take a break from the metrics for a minute I know a lot of people will talk about throwing their watch away for a couple months and just running off of feel. And I feel like I got that opportunity. My heart rate data was not reliable because your heart rate changes so much with your pregnancy changes. So really, it was freeing in a sense to just kind of fall in love and have fun with movement where you're not focused on the metrics. So being flexible and keeping it fun and changing what metrics you look at for a little bit, I think was really refreshing. Mm -hmm. And you did a good job with that. It's not an easy, it's easy to say, it's not as easy to do. You have this looming goal and you have a changing body and it's really difficult not to want to say, I'm taking control back to just say, Hey, I'm going to take what it presents to me. You did a very good job at taking what was presented. We, we had a early on, I said, uh, that, that our goal is not, and you mentioned it. Our goal isn't to nail the workouts. Our name, our goal is to check the box each day. When we look back, we just don't want to see gaps. If we string together 24 weeks of no gaps, even if we miss the boat on some of the workouts, the body of work is going to have you ready to resume work afterwards. Or if we have great workouts and then nothing, that's not helping. We talk all the time how long it takes to lose fitness. Well, if we never stop moving in any capacity, just check the box. 
It's like, do you call that perfect? No, but I call it done. As long as it's done every day, we know that the body of work will stave off atrophy or loss of fitness. And you, to your credit, did a really good job adhering to that mentality. Even on days where you do feel terrible or fantastic or hopeless, like you just kept to it. One of my uh, life mantras, I've got a couple of them, and I've written this one on my arm before a couple of races. Um, Don't let perfect get in the way of good. Don't get so in your head that you have the perfect plan. And if perfection isn't achievable, you just quit. Don't let perfect get in the way of good. Start with good and get better. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that too. Let's cut that out too, Ian Floyd. Um, He's our social media guy (laughs) for anybody wondering. Ian, if you're listening. Um, Was that actually easy though? Like, Like, come on, like throwing metrics out the window. I mean, it's nice to romanticize it for a time being. It's freeing, right? We forget about our metrics and let's just go twirl in circles and eat Skittles. But was it really that easy? Was it that easy to... to No, it wasn't. I can't envision it being so. Like, did you battle with it at all or or did you not? I would, for sure. I really, really battled with it. Um, Spent a lot of time crying about it, uh, knowing that, wow, this, especially because the first trimester, and for me, I didn't really start showing physical changes in my body till maybe about 24 weeks. So it was really difficult to watch the metrics go down and not look pregnant on the outside. Mm. And that was, if I was looking pregnant, maybe it would have been easier for me to like look at my belly and say, you're doing this and you're slower because there's a baby inside of you. But when you're feeling like crap, you're not sleeping well. I was traveling a lot for work trying to throw those metrics out the window kind of came at a point of you can't focus on the metrics anymore. It came to a head where if you keep focusing, I kept focusing on the metrics, it was going to lead me down a really, really dangerous path and getting to there dangerous in the way of like, I wouldn't not in the way of like ending my life or anything, but just, I wouldn't have enjoyed running or the rest of the process if I had kept focusing on the metrics. And we actually got to this point. I was trying to do, um, we wanted to set some pre-pregnancy times doing these time trials. And it got to the point where I told Bracken, I can't do the time trials. Um, I'm just going to be slower. I know that I can do this faster and I can't do that right now. So we actually dropped the time trials from the training plan. And so in some ways, abstinence from things that you can compare to were really, that was a helpful turn in that where I know my 5k is going to be slower. It just is. I'm not feeling it. So for me, it was really difficult grappling with my body hadn't physically from the outside appeared to change yet. I was not feeling good. I was nauseous. Like the pregnancy hormones were not very fun for me. I was throwing up quite a bit and getting slower, being able to lift less weight, climbing the climbing routes that I was doing. So there was a lot of struggling. And I think that because all of the metrics went down that I was tracking, it made it a little bit easier when it came to that point of we got to stop. It was not a, from the beginning, like dancing, holding hands through a field of roses, like, hey, let's just not look at our metrics. It came about because if I kept looking at metrics, it was going to continue to be to my detriment. And some of that's on me. You know, I said from the start, we're going to do these blocks of training. They may not work well, but I still wanted us to try testing at the end of each one to see how much we'd atrophied. That's a dumb thing to do in hindsight. (laughs) But it made sense to me on paper. Let's see what happened. Let's see what your aerobic threshold heart rate did during this so we know what to do moving forward. That's logical. 
Pregnancy is not logical. It's not linear. There are days where we thought this is done to us. And then three days later, suddenly you could do it again. Like it's not a linear progression. There are constant peaks and valleys and your switch partway through to say, I'm training for this like I'm training for an ultra. I'm going to enjoy the highs and I know the lows won't last. And as my body breaks down and I can no longer bomb the downhills or I can no longer pallet uh, or, or stomach certain foods, that's okay. It's an ultra. When you made that mind switch, that mindset switch, that, that seemed to be pretty powerful for you. And it was helpful to me to be like, like, this can't be linear. It can't be. You might want it to be, but it's not about you. And I think the other thing that helped too is focusing on different metrics. Like I didn't just throw away metrics. The two metrics that I really focused on was one time that I spent moving my body. And two, I started doing city strides. I know Bracken's wife does city strides where you look at the percentage that you've completed in your city. And so that was fun for a couple of reasons because I got to plan out a new route that I was going to do. And I got to see the percentage completion of my city go up. So I did kind of divert instead of eliminate, which I think helped. I, I don't think I would have been successful if I just said, oh, no metrics. Like that's not how my engineer brain works. That's not how my running brain works. Like we do live in numbers. I live in numbers. So how can I make the numbers work for me? One of my favorite anecdotes, and it's a little bit filthy, is um, if you're trying to measure how good of a spouse or a partner you are by the number of people that you sleep with outside of your measure or outside of your marriage, it's probably not a number that you want to increase right now. That might not be the right place to focus if you want to have a successful relationship with your partner. So for me, it was important to pick the correct metrics. And in the relationship example, people sleeping with outside of your marriage, don't want to increase that number, want to keep that number really low. But number of times that I tell my partner that I love them per day or do something kind for them, those are numbers that I want to increase. So how do I just direct towards numbers that'll help get me to my ultimate goal? And that's something I really did have to do because I couldn't have just gotten rid of it all. I had to have something to focus on. I'd have to imagine like towing the towing the line, so to speak, for a time trial knowing that it will be worse than what you have been previously. And then knowing again, like, well, I'm going to work really hard and this is going to suck, but for sure I'm going to be slower again. That's to be a pretty, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing them either. I'd be like, I'm data or not. I think I'm just going to. It's bad coaching. I, no, it's not bad coaching because data is important, but <laughs> I'm just thinking of myself pregnant doing that, knowing and I'd be like, yeah, I think I'm just going to spare myself this one today. I could see that. I also very much would go to the, I'd probably start my watch when I started my run and turn it right to like the time screen, like the time of day screen or something and not even look. Intervals on the track, if I was doing 400 meter repeats, I might hit the lap button, but I have no idea what it is. It doesn't even matter in the moment anyways. I, th I don't think I'd be able to, I don't know, it'd be very difficult to do. I always wonder, I see um my coach from college, he just ran the Boston Marathon, um, and in 916 pace, I don't know, he's got to be almost 80. Coach Zupons, he's the man. And he had run 213 in the marathon in his younger days, right? Now he's running, which is sub five minute pace. That's four, what, 450 pace, 455 pace, something like that. Four, anyways, now he's out there running 917 pace or whatever it was for the Boston Marathon. And I always wonder how knowing you're going to be where your metrics are going to be worse, how people handle that as they age. I never thought about it while pregnant, 
not that I'm sure they they don't go hand in hand, but it it can't be easy. It can't be easy at all. Still put your damn shoes on knowing you're going to be worse today than yesterday. Ugh. Right? I think you have to change your why of why you put your shoes on. And I agree with Did you. Did you put your shoes on so you could be faster? <laughs> right. So that Probably was hard. Not. It was really hard to change your why. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. And you're right. Not only choosing the right metrics, but why are we choosing the metric? Like, what's the benefit of it? I wanted that metric to see how much had your lactate threshold heart rate dropped or pace changed so that we knew what to do and expect in the next block. It's no longer appropriate for you to expect to hit this. Let's lower our expectations and still get a win because this is our new parameter. Let's get a win through that. Yeah, that makes sense. But what is the mental cost of having to line up in time trial and feel terrible? Like, does Which one's more important to have a great goal to shoot for or to not feel really, really down on yourself in the moment? And so deciding that one isn't that juice isn't worth the squeeze. That was big, and I was glad you're able to tell me. But one thing you did very well is you prioritize your baby. You know, we both agreed on this early on, which is your baby is going to take the oxygen, blood, nutrients it needs, no matter what. If you underfuel, the baby's not going to underfuel. It's going to take the same amount, no matter what, as long as it gets that amount coming in. It's going to take it. So let's just put dumb numbers that don't make sense. It needs 500 calories a day, let's just say. If you ingest 600 calories, it's taking 500. If you ingest 2,000, it's taking 500. It serves itself first with oxygen, with blood, with nutrients. And since that's happening, you are left with whatever is left over. And we were on the same page with that. And so very early on, you realized and... Who was I to say anything else? But yeah, absolutely. Which is, if the baby's telling me I don't have energy today, that's what it is. If the baby grants me energy today, today's a quality day. If today I feel strong, we're going to lift today. Even if it wasn't the plan, you did a very good job of acknowledging that whatever happens, the baby is taking what it needs and whatever it allows me to have after, that's the workout I'm going to fill the space with which usually I don't like saying that with athletes, which is if I feel crappy, I won't do my workout. My mentality is usually you might feel crappy on race day. So get over it, get used to it. You did the exact opposite, but for the right reason. And I think that you choosing to do that and then sticking with that, I felt good today. I'm actually going to work. Even if I felt terrible the previous two weeks, that kept you on it throughout. And you helped keep me honest on, was I actually feeling bad that day or was I, we, we had a lot of discussions on what's the difference between an excuse and an explanation. And this is something that I struggle with in a lot of aspects of my life, not just running, but was that an excuse? Could I have really done that? And I'm just trying to excuse it. Or was it a true explanation as to why I missed the workout that day? And if it was like a mentally tough day, but my body was still physically feeling good, Bracken would tell me like, no, you should probably still do some movement. Maybe like don't add the intensity in yet, but still get outside. Versus the nap, that's an explanation. If you're asleep in five minutes, then you should sleep. That's an explanation as to why you weren't going to hit that workout or why it was feeling too difficult. But an excuse would have been if I was sitting there on my phone for 15 minutes and then stayed in bed. So that's something I think that I'm going to continue to grapple with through my whole life is, am I just excusing my behavior and trying to use it as a cop-out? Or is it a true explanation for what happened and I should listen to that and take the rest that my body is demanding. Yeah. I like that. And uh 
And did you wrestle with that more often than you would have cared to? Or not? Absolutely. <laughs> to her credit, early on, she was taking explanations and convincing herself they were excuses. It wasn't the opposite way. It wasn't that she was looking for excuses and trying to find a way out. She was trying to find a way back in, which comes back to that ultra conversation we've had, which is you can choose to look for a way out of the race or you can look for a way back in. And early on, I think she was being a little unfair with herself because she wasn't showing. And we had to have that conversation like, listen, there are body types. You are six feet tall. You are not going to show the same way that a five foot tall woman is going to show. You are going to take longer to show because you have more space in your body cavity for that baby to grow. So even though you don't feel super pregnant, this is an explanation, not an excuse. Your baby's diverting blood no matter what. You have less to work with. It doesn't matter if you've grown eight inches or not. The blood's being diverted. So to her credit, early on, she did try to find ways back in on days maybe she shouldn't even have tried to. So I think with some people, the... If you give them the opportunity to decide if it's an excuse or an explanation mid-workout, they're going to decide it's an explanation. <laughs> it's very valid, and I'm not safe to continue. And in reality, it's probably usually an excuse. Well, and it's tough, too, when you see the social media highlight reels. They're like The Instagram algorithm was showing me other pregnant runners, and there was people who were like, I ran a 1,000 miles while I was pregnant, or I'm on a 16-year run streak, and I ran a mile every single day, including the two days I gave birth. And so you're like kind of comparing yourself to maybe some people's highlight reels. And I'm sitting here like, I just missed my workout because I was so tired and nauseous and did not want to get out of bed. My husband literally fed me a sandwich, and I didn't even lift my head off the pillow. <laughs> Why can't I get out and go run a mile like some of these run streakers or some of these other pregnant people? So actually, I'm not really that good of a runner. And why am I even trying to do this? Like, those are some thoughts that I definitely had in those lows where, yeah, this is an excuse. Come on, these other people were out there doing it, and they did it better than you. So why can't you? And it's hard to balance that. And I'm glad that the run streak works for the people who keep it. I'm glad that that woman was able to run a thousand miles while pregnant. That's awesome. And I don't want to take away from that. But I also can't compare my daily lived experience to something that I saw on my phone because I don't know what those women struggled with um, through their experiences either. So that was tough because running didn't feel as fun and good anymore. And I saw other people who were pregnant having a, what seemed a good experience with it. So Bracken helped remind me that when I'm feeling... I'm, I'm average at running. I'm going to finish in the 25 to 75 percentile of a race, usually in the bottom half. So there's always going to be people that are better than me. But the fact that I make it to the start line of an ultra makes me not be able to, like, I can't only compare myself to the person who wins the race. I have to compare myself to myself first and then also put into context that I'm still able to move four of the seven days in the week. And that's really cool. And some women pregnancy takes them out more. So why am I not looking at the objective full picture of my experience and only comparing to these few people that have a very, very unique experience. And I don't know what happened behind it. Yeah. That's a whole conversation in itself. The uh, highlight reel phenomenon. Right. Somebody's always out there grinding. Somebody's always out there hustling. Somebody's always having their best day. We think, well, we're having our worst which leads us to feel like pathetic mm -hmm. losers. I wish we could get rid of that. You got to know better and you learn over time, but people are very susceptible to that for sure. Um, all right, Cassie. Cassie's third thing she learned through training, well, 
pregnant. What else comes to mind? So far, we got two really good ones. Anything else that jumps out at you? This is back to back guests. You've surprised them with a checklist that they didn't no, know. No, last you got was, Glenn. <laughs> I said, "Give me, give me your top five hot tips." Is very different than what did you learn in nine months while pregnant. Whatever. <laughs> it's just interesting that you've done two ever and you did it back to back and they're both engineers who would really like to be prepared with a solid like, no, we have vetted these things and they have all been proven true. I like it. Well, I don't know how to dissect this any other way, I guess, because I've never been pregnant and it's hard for me to relate. I can have only seen it through others eyes. Probably so. never will be. Science has come a long ways, Bracken. If Kirk gets pregnant, then... uh I think you'll make a lot of women very happy by no longer having to carry babies. <laughs> and Jess has some explaining to do. There's the yep, peek behind the curtains will be an interesting one there. All right, move on. Have you had enough time to think about any anything? Do we give you enough time? I'm happy with what you've already said. I just didn't know if there's any, any corners we haven't uh, looked at yet. I'd say thing number three is it really changed my why. Um, and realized that I'm not running for myself. I mean, I am running for myself in the way that it makes me feel good and I'm happy for it. But my why is more about making sure that I can have the longevity of being a runner and not hurt myself and not push myself in the way that I used to, because now I have a son who relies on me and I want to be able to go skiing and climbing and hiking and run with my child. So my why is a little bit different. And I think that approach into training is going to be a little bit different. Maybe I'll be more susceptible to a DNF in a race if I feel like it's it's going to put me back and not being able to have that bigger life side of it. So I think that I have a little bit more balance and almost kind of like you said at the beginning with the compulsive side of exercise when you're coming off of an eating disorder. I feel like there was still some of that sprinkled in. It wasn't an overarching theme of my exercise, but it it does exist sometimes. And now I feel like that part is kind of completely gone away because my why I'm not willing to sacrifice my body for this sport anymore. I'm willing to enjoy it. I'm willing to have fun. I want to build community around it. I want to get to the start line. I want to finish, but I'm not willing to kill myself to do it because I want to be with my family first. Well, and to be clear, you've run yourself into a stress fracture before. Yes, I have. Not just calling you out here, but I think it's a, <laughs> a noteworthy piece on your timeline that that I'm not willing to do blank anymore. You've done that thing before. Yeah, I don't want to have a stress fracture and take six, eight weeks off of going on walks with my family. That's not that's not on the table right now. Obviously, injuries can come for whatever reason, but I don't want to do it on purpose anymore. Not that I purposely did a stress fracture, but I wasn't aware that I wasn't as mindful of that as a consequence. So I think that's number three. Wise are tough, aren't they? Because they don't have to be one thing. They, they can are. be many things. Your why, you can go a lot of ways at different times or how you're feeling with your why. But, like, I don't know. Well, I guess what what would have been um, what would have been your why before versus now or while pregnant? What would have been the difference? My why before would have been to keep seeing improvement and to keep seeing how far I could push my body. Hmm. So if you look at my times from completing the ultra, the first one, I was just under 14 hours. The second one, I was 11 hours and 19 minutes. The third one, I was 10 hours and 18 minutes. And then my fourth one, I was pregnant. I was back up to just over 11. So my why was to keep getting faster and to see how far I could push this, how far I could push it while it was still fun. And 
that's not my why anymore. I want to just enjoy the process and enjoy it instead of focusing on getting faster and seeing how good I could get. Beautiful. I can understand that. Makes perfect sense. And maybe there's something in the aging athlete in that as well as your why changes from being on the podium or your why changes from seeing how far you could push your body to a transition into how does this just fit into my life and how do I enjoy it the most I can before it's gone? Hmm. Or maybe it's never going to be gone. Your old coach who just ran the Boston, it's not gone for him. Impressed, He's still running. Impressive. We have been talking about aging a good bit lately. I wonder why. I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> so one of us looks old and the other one's getting old. Who's who? Well, one of us is balding. The other one's almost 40. You have a baby face with eyebrows that jump out at you. That's not an old guy. If I could just transplant some of my eyebrow hair to the top, I'd be set. They make hair implants now. <laughs> All right, so Kirk, I'm going to tack on. Oh, okay. Kirk. Oh, you're going to do what I did, but you just did me dirty over that. Now you're going to do it. Yep. You. Listen. I am a product of the room I stand in. Mm. And if you continually lead me down this path, I'm going to become that person. I was ready to leave it. Go ahead. I'm take, I'm digging in. All right. Because Cassie is not just a runner who is also pregnant. She also represents another one of the common situations that people struggle with exercising through, which is someone who travels for work. Almost every Q&A we ever have someone travels for work and can't figure out how to do their training or how do I train while traveling or what do I, what do I prioritize? Well, while pregnant, you had 12 straight weeks of traveling. Now that's ridiculous. And in the past, you used to go four to five straight nights out of town. So I kind of want to know, checklist continued, but in a, a different lane, what has worked for you? What are your learnings as someone who travels for work? And not just travels for work. You travel for work as a woman in a male-dominated culture. Not just culture, but industry. You're an engineer. You are going out to fabrication sites, to plants, and doing all of that. And that goes hand-in-hand. -hand. Work trips go with dinners, go with drinks, go with a certain... Like a male workplace and a female workplace does spend their downtime differently. And the culture is different. That's just... The way it is. So what have you learned in trying to fit in your life as an athlete and a person in the confines of traveling in that way for work? Lots of trial and error. And each business trip can be a little bit different. So a little bit more context to my job. There's maybe three or four different types of business trips that I have. There's going to the manufacturing facilities where we actually make our product. Those are typically going to be more in the middle of nowhere, um, two hours away from the nearest airport or nearest city. And then there's other types of business trips where I'm going out with customers and I'm in the construction industry. So even our customers are in a male dominated field, not just in the manufacturing environment. And those customer trips might be in fancy hotel resorts. They're usually in bigger cities. Um, sometimes they're in quite beautiful locations. So really it's, it's not like I could get into a routine when I travel because each type of trip does have differences. So when I'm on going on more of those remote type of trips, I really try to look at all trails and see what trails exist around that facility. And I'm often shocked how much nature exists and is beautiful anywhere in the country, in the middle of Oklahoma, Texas, um, California, all over the place. You can really find some cool trails. And the best part is you're oftentimes alone in those areas. I actually, sometimes there's hunting that happens in these trails. So I will even bring a sexy construction vest and wear that when I'm running or out exploring 
to make sure that I'm visible. But some considerations that I have, if I'm going to be working out outside, I don't want to do it while it's dark um, and I'm alone. Those are some conditions that I don't just, I don't feel as comfortable um, running outside alone when it's dark. So that can be challenging while traveling in the winter to try to get outside, which is really important to me, while there's not a lot of daylight. So sometimes I'll just go for a lunch walk on those days. And it's a little bit of the similar mentality while being pregnant of taking what I can get. There's going to be some days where we have a plant trial and I'm at the facility for 17 hours and I was there before sunrise and I leave after sunset. And that day I just go back and I sleep and whatever workout was scheduled, I don't care because I'm just so deadbeat by the end of that. I need sleep in order to be ready for the next day. I also, something that comes into the equation here is how well you sleep can determine what type of workout I have the next day. So if I have a quality day planned, and this is pre-pregnant and a little bit during pregnancy, if I had a quality day planned, but I had a really long day the day before and a really trash night of sleep, I'll intentionally try to do the quality, but I'll let the metrics kind of go out. If it's gonna be a 60-60 type of effort, I might not hit that the same, but I'm still gonna try to do something. Um, the days that I have more of in the city or I'm traveling more with people or there's work dinners, it can be really challenging because you don't control. A lot of times it's going to be a fixed menu, um, really nice food. So you want to indulge in some ways and customers want to stay out late. And when you're talking with customers, you can't always just say, oh, well, it's time for me to go work out and go to bed. You really do have to stay up and engage with them. And it's not the meeting during the day that's important. It's that socializing piece at night. So how do I balance that? And one of the things is I really seldom drink. That helps a lot to be able to wake up the next morning and get a workout in. And then also trying to find coworkers that I'd want to go work out with. Telling them, hey, let's wake up tomorrow morning and just get in a 30-minute workout together before, um, before we go. Sometimes it's actually even a benefit because some of our customers um, also train in endurance sports. And so you can then take that dinner the night before and say, hey, I see you yawning as well. I know that you really like to run or you like to bike or whatever. What if uh, we both went to bed at 8 p.m.? I'll meet you at the gym at 6 a.m. And then we'll chat and we'll have some of that business time in the morning. So it's really about continuing to be flexible and looking at what exists around me because there's so much in this country that's beautiful that you wouldn't even realize exists, um, especially in places that you wouldn't expect. I know you put, you both are probably very used to people saying, oh, like, what's beautiful about where you live? You're in the flyover state. There's nothing there for trails. And that's not true. There's trails and there's things to explore everywhere. So to summarize that, Bracken, I would say, one, take what I can get um, and let the workouts change based on the flow of the week. Um, and how well I slept, but have the intention of showing up, even if I don't show up in the same way I want to. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's the overall, but now we can dig into some of those. <laughs> well, the main one to dig into for me, I, you covered it all, but the main one to dig into is something you just paid lip service to, which is, I just don't drink that much. Mm -hmm. And almost everyone that travels for it struggles with not drinking because they say it's just a non-negotiable you're out with them. You have to entertain. So how do you make it not a non-negotiable? You have mocktails. One of my favorite mocktails is a virgin mojito because it looks like a drink. It tastes delicious and nobody questions you. Um, or sometimes I don't, it's, 
luckily the culture around drinking is starting to change where you kind of look like an asshole if you say to someone like oh why aren't you drinking and dig into it there's especially as a woman people don't ask you that anymore because they don't want to be caught like asking if you're pregnant Mm. um but Mm. there is a lot of assumptions that come with that oh are you not drinking because you're pregnant well at some point that was true but before that wasn't and it's kind of offensive um so luckily people are starting to ease off of being so interested in drinking and I'm a pretty outgoing, energetic person in general. So I don't, I just don't leave an opportunity for people to think it's weird. I try to stay like jovial and bubbly and engaging in conversations without alcohol. And then it doesn't really come up and I'll go get the round of drinks for all my customers and people will just not notice that I don't have one. I like that. Purposefully slur your speech once in a while, throw them off the trail. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just kidding. Don't do that. I thought you'd be like, my alarm goes off at 4 a.m. I roll out of bed into my running shoes every day, no matter what. You know, I figured that sort of spiel is what we'd get from the travelers who managed to train. But I don't also think that's very sustainable or realistic. I've tried it and it did not work. (laughs) Then you just end up miserable in the dirt and end up having a shitty week of training following because you're completely burnt, sick unsustainable Mm -hmm. well and what's hard with work travel is if i'm not work traveling you have an eight hour work day a nine hour work day whatever it is it's a lot more set in stone and then you can come home and you could be with your family you could be in your house you can watch netflix on a work trip or do whatever you want in your free time when you're on a work trip some of these work trips there's breakfast meetings there's dinners that last until midnight and it's really a full day of work, even though you're not working or in meetings, like anytime I'm with a coworker or with a customer, I consider that being at work. And so you have to be on and I don't get to be comfortable with my zero energy people. I have to be professional Cassie. I have to be always wondering, did they tell me that because there's something deeper that I need to dig into? What do I need to remember? How is this going to help my business? What am I doing to serve the customer better? And I'm on and that can't be discounted, even if you're not working within the normal confines of an eight hour day. And I think a lot of people who travel for work, that's true. Your work day isn't confined to the same. Your whole 24 hours basically, besides when you're sleeping, is being on for work. And that's exhausting and difficult to manage with a training schedule. So to me, I've prioritized my career and being on. And to me, like the purpose of a work trip when I'm there, I want to be that professional Cassie and get as much as I can out of it. And unfortunately, my training does start to play second fiddle. So I try to prioritize. As I get closer to a race, sometimes that starts to shift and I will set my alarm and hit my workouts because I know it's so important. But in a base building phase or in a phase where I'm further from my event, it's easier to let that kind of slip. That makes sense. Yeah, I'm sure Bracken, you can relate to this, but people be like, I'll come in from, let's say I've one-on-one or group clients for six hours in a row at the gym and then i'll come home and be like i'm just toast and somebody may be like you just stood there and told people what to do like you didn't do anything and you're right i didn't i sit there and told told people what to do and didn't lift a finger myself hardly but six hours of being on and engaged and 100 percent present mm-hmm. and invested in the situation is exhausting i'd rather do physical labor i'm less exhausted after cutting wood for six hours than i would be after personal training with intent for six let's call it six hours in a row for sure so i can relate to that one pretty 
pretty steep, yeah. You can't discount mental effort. Mm-hmm. Like you said, yard work or housework or something like that. You can turn on music or an audiobook or a podcast or nothing and just let your mind wander. And physicality, if you're in shape, is sustainable. But there are so many days, if I even have like three back-to-back athlete calls, I get done and then we do a podcast and partway through the podcast, I'm like, I am totally really tired and losing the ability to focus. And I get done and all I want to do is lay on the couch. I'm like, Lisa, I know this sounds weird because all I did was sit for six hours here, but for all six hours, I was either talking or listening and preparing to talk. And even just listening and making sure that you're listening and formulating what you do next, that takes something out of you. And you sound so weak for having said it, but sitting in a meeting, if it's a meeting, you have to know what's being said. That is draining because you're on, you have to focus and focus is exhausting. So yeah, it sounds like we're all doing the poor me thing, but it's not about Bracken's tired or Kirk's tired. It's about when you are on a work trip or doing something that isn't inherently tiring. And then you wonder why it's hard to get your workout in. It's because you were on. Mm-hmm. Excuse versus explanation. Yeah. Hey. Now, do we want to dive into that more? <laughs> Otherwise, I got a window today. I got about 10 minutes. So I want to make sure we get to one more part of this conversation. But I didn't know if you wanted to dive Let's into go to the it. travel. Well, I just want to know um, the thought process and plan now. Um, you've had baby. What's his name? His name is Neil. Neil. Hey, Neil. Neil Henry. Neil, hope you're listening. Shout out, Neil. Neil. Is here and now you're have you returned to training yet i've been walking a lot um i have the meeting with or i have the appointment with my doctor next week to get the all clear cool. but been walking way more like last week we did 20 miles just because it felt good and the oh, nice. weather was great so we're starting 20 miles of walking that's awesome so yeah because usually it's give or take the six week mark right is what we generally look at for returning to think like vigorous exercise so what's the plan then what are we what are we doing guys <laughs> Do you want to start bracken? I want to hear what you heard yesterday. Because we just okay. discussed yesterday. Uh, I basically said, don't talk to me. Go be with your baby. <laughs> Do what feels good. Don't reach for a workout. Just, I'm going to Sweden. You have your baby. We're not discussing this yet. Mm-hmm. That's not how it went. But that's what it amounted to. And yesterday was our first conversation about what are we going to do. So I want to hear your takeaway of what is our plan moving forward our plan moving forward is to make every stage feel really boring as we get to the next one Hmm. so as we start adding in work and effort we want to do it with purpose to make sure that i don't injure my pelvic floor or to make sure that i will make it to the race healthy that's goal number one is to get to the race healthy and finish healthy and strong so what we're going to do is we took some pieces of the race that I'm most worried about, that downhill being one of them, because it comes pretty close to the end of the race. And by that point, you're mentally drained and your body's tired and your knees start to take a pounding. So we're going to take apart the pieces of the race that I need to have ready and start to build them into my training plan in whatever way works. So if I need to get some downhill effort, if I'm not ready for the impact of a downhill run yet, we'll do other types of strength or other types of efforts to fill in those gaps to build those skills. We're going to start adding resistance to impact slowly to make sure that I do it healthily. Um, So sometimes it's going to be just a walk and we're going to start with intervals or incline work on the treadmill in order to really build back that resistance to impact in an appropriate um, cadence for what I'm responding to. And 
keep the flexibility that we had during my pregnancy schedule, but bring back more of the training blocks and really keep them there. That's what I heard from yesterday. Bracken, what do you have to add? That's a good summation. (laughs) And you did what you intended to do, which is you kept up your ability to execute work. I mean, 21 21 miles of walking has to be five to six hours of walking. It was. (laughs) So if you already have six hours of work in you for a week... You can get by on six hours of training and execute a 55K, especially since your goal is to do it, not to PR. You just want to complete it healthfully. So you have six hours of work in you, and now we're going to change how those six hours work each week, what they look like. And our intensity will start in the least risky modalities and move into the most risky as we go. And yeah, start building the downhills and the uphills in the gym and then switch over to impact as we go. That's the plan. It's almost like coming off of injury, except you're not outwardly injured. You have an internal wound and you have the ability to do work. It's like someone who just cross-trained through injury. That's where we're picking up. It's an interesting position to be in the timeline for you because you'll have 16 weeks from the time you gave birth to the time the ultra is Mm -hmm. so now you're back to yes 12 weeks at most most likely nine or or 10 or 11 weeks and then that delicate balance i mean this is what i would waffle with as a coach is obviously like if you if there were no restraints you know four to eight weeks out i want you to be in an overreaching phase which means we are hitting volume coupled with intensity you are supposed to be a little bit in the dirt and then we slowly back off and let all that hard work soak in. You recover, you sharpen a little, the legs freshen up, and it all comes together on this glorious day called race day where you have all this new fitness and you actually can use it, right? Because you're recovered. But like with you, it's like, well, we can't. We can't just dive into an overreaching phase and throw everything at at you because that would be a recipe for injury for sure and frustration. And so it's like, that's a fun little project as a coach is what I'm saying. Like, that's fun. That's fun coaching in Mm -hmm. my opinion. Like, I know that sounds like a bizarre thing for me to say, like that's what came to my mind, but those are fun projects for guys like Bracken and I believe it or not moving the puzzle pieces around still showing up and getting work done on race day that you're happy with, with the circumstance. So I don't know how you look at that Bracken, but I, I would look at it as a pretty fun opportunity as a coach, which is not the point of this episode, but um, did cross my mind. So, so Bracken should be thanking you for that is what I'm getting at. Yeah, it is fun. It's a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, we've switched postpartum. I'm paying her. Is that what it is? Uh-huh. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. J- just for the excitement Perfect. of the challenge. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's, it's interesting because we want to a- approach rebuilding into training as if we're coming off of an injury because we want to approach impact respectfully. But she's also not damaged goods. Mm -hmm. She's not an injured athlete. She is not at a reduced capacity as a person. Like it's, it's this weird thing where she was not injured, but we're going to use those principles. And I think it's really easy to feel like you are damaged goods coming off of something that oftentimes women are, like we saw with Lauren Weeks, are ridiculed for getting into training too far into their, into uh, prepartum and then too soon in postpartum. Like it, it is something that sometimes has a stigma to it, but you are not damaged if you've done things correctly. You have a, you know, 
pelvic floor needs to heal or the placenta came off the off the wall needs to heal you have some you know whether you have stitches or not that needs to heal but outside of that you are not a damaged commodity so you need to progress appropriately without being stuck in this i it's maybe not appropriate to do because it is appropriate to do mm-hmm. but just at your personal level and i can't feel that and I've never felt it. I've watched Lisa do it three times. I've worked with five or six other women, but I don't know how Cassie responds. So it still will, we still will need more back and forth than most of my clients do because it's the nature of the thing. And what I found during pregnancy that was interesting is I felt like I could do some of the harder efforts in the moment and then I would pay for it by needing way too much recovery. Like I could maybe hit a quality workout and I would hit it hard because I'd feel good in the moment. And then I would be laid out for two or three days, which is not an appropriate amount of recovery. So I'm sure that as we go through this, we'll watch what my recovery needs are to see if the effort was appropriate for where I am now. Um, Yeah. Because that's important. (laughs) And Kirk, what you said is exactly right. Normally, you'd want to build up all the tolerance to the work, build up extra tolerance, and then sharpen down to be able to do it all faster and more efficiently. Whereas what we're probably going to have to do is arrive at the proper amount of tolerance the week before the race. Right. It's just going to incrementally build up, build up, build up, and hey, we can handle it. Go do it. Right. There isn't going to be this sharpening. There's not going to be a taper. There's going to be your less rest up a few days, but we're going to progressively work right up to it. It's going to be a capstone rather than a sharpen to a peak that... It's going to be as gradual of a linear progression as we can do, which normally you just don't do for a race. You spike a few times. The spike will be arriving, hopefully, at your highest you know, confluence of fitness, resistance to impact, and confidence the exact moment you need it. So it's a challenge. Sounds great. Sounds great. And in theory, it'll be very interesting to see how it all comes along. It's that impact piece that is so... It, it just takes a while to get that back, right? It's like, but if it's done right, I remember yeah. my first ultra, I ran 17 total miles the week prior, 17 miles total. Then I went out and ran a 50K, but if you have the just the right sprinkles in there, you can pull it off in probably three months as long as the body holds up. That's exciting prospect. I don't think PRing is off the table on that course. Do you? Do you really think so? I think if we had 16 weeks. See, I keep pulling my headphones off. Yeah. There's the tornado sirens are going off and they keep going off. I'm like, should I, we had a storm here and I'm like, should I need to go? I don't know. 16 weeks would make me think, I think, I think we're going to actually PR 12 weeks is enough that I think I can't think PR for you because I'm going to push the envelope and trying to shortcut something. So I'm not saying PR in my head, but you're not wrong. It could be done. The interesting thing about this racing, it's Cassie's race to talk about, but I'll just lay the groundwork is that. There are 64, 6,500 feet of gain and 9,000 feet of descending. Yeah. Oof. And the extra comes at the end. Obviously. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Boston is a net downhill. It should be easy. Everybody crosses the finish line looking great <laughs> at Boston. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Continue. So you need the most resistance to impact at the latest stage of the race. So it's not like you can get through a lot of the descending and climb up to the finish. Like the injury piece would come in the last four miles if you couldn't handle it. And so that's kind of the great overriding cap on what we have to do is miles 26 to 30 are really, really important. Or what, 24 to 29, whatever we decide that is, that 
descent where for four miles you're going down something very steep and technical and you need legs there. Yeah, so the basics of the course is it starts on the Continental Divide Trail um, between Idaho and Montana, starting in this town called Salmon. And for the first like 24-ish miles, you're running along the Continental Divide Trail. It's absolutely beautiful. And then you get to this really technical scree field where you have to climb and descend for three miles over extremely loose rock. And then once you get to the end of the scree field, you drop down these game trails that you drop like a thousand feet per mile for that three, four miles. And then you run through some cow fields and you're at the finish line. So you're dropping off of the Continental Divide Trail down into um, where you finish. And it's a beautiful course, absolutely stunning. Um, And one of the nice things about it being for a first ultra is all the cutoff times are for the 100K that starts 45 kilometers before the 55 start. So you can get to the cutoffs as a 55Ker and they're not really aggressive or challenging, which helps if if you wanted to do it for your first time. What race is that specifically? What is it called? It's called the Beaverhead 55K and 100K endurance run. Yep, I've had athletes run that. Okay. One, anyways. Um, Really? (laughs) mm -hmm. Um, Okay. Well, Bracken, where else do you want to go with this? I'm just looking at the clock and I got a a time crunch. I'm sure, I feel like we could talk to you forever, Cassie. um, What do you got, Bracken? Take us out, Kirk. Well, I'm not not the guest. I'm not the guest. I, yeah. Who are your sponsors? Who's supporting you these days? <laughs> like, subscribe, follow to what channels? <laughs> Cassie's very good with analogies and tangibles and pieces of advice. So why don't we just turn it over? Oh, put give me us, on the spot like that. Yep, give us some good things people can can hear <laughs> yeah, from your archives. Make me feel bad about putting her on the spot, and then you do that. I'm a product of my environment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my favorite analogy Bracken's ever done is his sunburn one, but I think what I'll end with is what I'd like anyone that's in the running public to hear is you don't have to be the best to still have fun with this and enjoy and learn from it and want to be your best self. So as you go through your running journey, wherever it takes you, take what you can get every day. And sometimes if that means turning your run into a skip, I've met people doing that where they come and they stop me and they say, why are you skipping you weirdo? Let's hang out. <laughs> and so just keep running fun keep it enjoyable for you and push yourself when you need um because it's also fun to push yourself and to see what you can do and let it be a lifelong journey and don't get too stuck in other people's stories because that's not your story in being a runner perfect beautiful i can think of a couple people who need to hear that so thank you for that cassie (laughs) of course send us off bracken (laughs) do 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 do